0: Hi, I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi Islanders, as promised I will give you the full tapes for those who want to listen to more of Marvin's so-called manifesto. If you haven't listened to last episode, you still can listen to the tapes first and go back to it. Last episode did have a big 30-minute chunk from this audio plus a few more other bits. Now, I want to answer a few questions. First off, this is not an episode. It's just an appendix to last episode. And no, I will not be changing the format of the show to include stacks and stacks of audio clips. But as I've done before, I will when it's right. I know that that 30-minute bit was a pretty long clip to put in but I hope you got to know Marvin a little better. Now, I think most of you sympathized with Marvin and a few didn't, but that's cool as he really did a lot of damage to the town. Also, he's got some strange views about God and how God built him to do this and all that sort of stuff. That was a bit wacky, but that's how he did feel. Now, I think Marvin just needed a friend or someone that he could talk to rather than bottle up all this rage and expel it upon the town of Granby. Another thing, Marvin did buy that property at auction. He did set a sale price to his friend of $66,000. Now, he did offer it to Cody at the time of sale for that $66,000 amount, which, you know, that's fair enough. He did offer it to Cody several more times over the years, at or below appraised value now cody refused to buy it and instead of that he bought the land around marvin instead he then refused him access to water and sewer so you can imagine how this frustrated marvin and from what i can see from the research i did cody and his cohorts were just small town small minded bunch of bullies so sit back and relax. Here is Marvin's story told by him. The audio is a bit dodgy in places, but it was recorded at his place on a cassette tape player, if you know what that is. <laughs> Take it over, Marvin. Hello.
1: My name is Marvin Heemeyer. Today is, uh, let's see here, April 13th. 2004 i am making this tape i thought i should make it a year ago made part of it didn't like it really didn't think it'd make any difference if i didn't make it but a good friend of mine said i should make it he said i should sit down in front of a videotape machine and do it but you're just going to have to take my word that this is he hemeyer serial number 503689471 and uh I'm living in Grand Lake, Colorado, and this tape is about my life since I came up here to Grand Lake in 1991. I moved up here in the fall of 1991 to kind of take a six-month vacation. Had a guy and his wife who were leasing my muffler shop in Boulder at 4790 Pearl Street. guy's name was Doug Brandstetter with his wife. forget her name right now but anyway they uh they were just on a probationary period this guy had serious alcohol and and uh drug abuse problems in the past supposedly was cleaned up i didn't know if he was or not but he kept pestering for jobs i said he could lease the place anyway he uh he ran it for four and a half years and everything went to hell i guess he got a divorce and different things happened i ended up getting it back and uh then i i let uh another guy come along i was Working down there, working up in Granby, actually, at the muffler shop I had in Granby. And in uh, Boulder. Had uh, two different people working for me. One in Boulder, her name was Christy. She was from someplace up in South Dakota. Great worker. Wonderful person. I really appreciated her. And then a little girl up here, uh, Dawn, or Gretchen Allison was her name. And uh, anyway, so I was running both businesses, and this other guy came along named Doug Davis. He worked at Midas for about nine years as a manager, and he wanted to be a working manager. And so he took over the place. And I gave him a little better deal than the other Brent, Doug I had, because Doug seemed to, the first Doug seemed to have a lot of problems making his payments the last year or so. But we have we had I believe they were for one reason, and he he would never admit it though that's the same way that this Duck Davis he finally left he left here about a month ago I got the place back you know, the landlord evicted him old Harold Pelly down there evicted him and, uh, and uh, anyway I took it back and uh, hopefully I got it sold to uh, a real nice guy and his wife uh, Jeff Sterling and his wife Jennifer they should be taken over the first of May first of May Anyway, um, so I've, uh, I've cashed out of it finally, and I'm done with it. And uh, anyway, anyway, I moved up here. That's my history in Boulder. This is my history up here. I, I came up here, and after a few months of living here, I realized this guy down there in Boulder was doing better than I ever thought he would. So that it was all based on, he, he kept it based on whether he performed or not. Of course, he was making all kinds of money. So I was happy, he was happy, and I realized he was going to keep it. So, okay, springtime, it's probably April, I'm thinking. Uh, I decided that, you know, I probably ought to buy some property up here to have something to do. So I uh, looked at this three cab- three lots and the two little cabins that I'm living in here right now. and uh, Had a beautiful view and the price was really cheap, so I bought them. And I uh, figured I'd spend the next year until this dug guy, you know, folded. Because I didn't know how long it would last, I said I just built, fixed his house up, his cabins up. Well, there's a friend of mine from Boulder. They're a friend, you know, he was a friend to a point, you know. Um, I guess you'd call him a friend. We we did a lot of snowmobiling together. He uh, met me through the muffler shop down there. He had a DJ's Auto Care down there, our Dr. John's Auto Care, and uh, did some. I did a lot of exhaust work for him, and he was a snowmobiler. So we started snowmobiling them together. Without a doubt, you know, I knew he had some problems with dope, you know, as far as marijuana and drugs were concerned. I just didn't know how bad it was. You know, you gotta just kinda ignore that stuff in today's day and age. You go out there and you find somebody who's a good rider, you, you ride with them, and we had a lot of fun together. Anyway, he uh he called me and said he was looking for a place up here to start a garage. And uh he already owned a cabin up here up there on off County Road four. And uh, I said I'd take a look, see if I could find anything. So I started looking, and uh, there was a guy named Pepper had a little garage down there south of Grand Lake, um, just north of the ski dealership that had a bay door on it, and uh, he didn't want anything big. So I told him about that, and then I happened to cross a piece of property down there in Grandy, it was an old concrete plant, and the guy had gone bankrupt and uh, had a, had an auction, and you know, gotten rid of all the stuff he had, and left a bunch of junk there. It's my understanding, and uh, but it had a 3,000 square foot building with three bay doors that were huge. I mean, it was a great, great building. It wasn't the best location, but it was a good building, and it had two acres of ground. And uh, I talked to him about it, and he said, that'd be great. I think he even came up and looked at it. I can't remember. But anyway, he, he said that he was interested. So we talked to a realtor named Jeff Crane, or I talked to him, I should say. And this was about a month before they were going to have this FDIC auction. So uh, Jeff says uh, that he'd sell me the property. Uh, we could write up a contract. I don't know if I wanted it, but uh, he figured it was worth about $110,000 or so, or more, you know, and I kind of laughed, and I said, you know, there's no way it's worth that, I mean, property up here was just so depressed in 1991 and 92, it just, it was terrible, and I didn't foresee the, any kind of future up here, I mean, I hadn't lived, ever lived in the mountains before, it just didn't seem like a good thing to be doing, buying, you know, at that kind of a price, so I told them, I said I'd wait until the FDIC had their auction, and I uh, didn't I and John talked it over, and we agreed that, you know, I'd pay $66,000 for it at the max. And if it went higher than that, we wouldn't buy it. He didn't want it. So uh, the time came, and then he paid me a certain amount. I can't remember if he was going to pay me more than 66000 for for buying it for him or if I was just going to finance it to him. I, think I, might have, I know I was going to finance it to him. But I, I don't know if it was 66000 or if there was going to be more. Anyway, it doesn't make any difference. Um, come time for the auction, I uh, Jeff Crane was down there with four older guys who were looking to invest some money in some FDIC properties. And I think there was about 160 properties for sale that day. And uh, anyway, this one finally came up for bid. And... Uh, they well actually first they told me that there was a uh, EPA audit to the place which was a they were recommending a twenty thousand dollar cleanup they had all these surveys done by Chen Northern uh, was the was the company contracted to look at it but anyway uh, come to find out later later on that FDIC had done a lot of the cleanup that they had recommended and I don't know for some reason I didn't realize that so. Uh, i i told john about it uh or it came up for sale came up on the on the block and uh they had a bid for thirty five thousand dollars from some guy up in front and uh so we were going to pay 66 i started waving at him, they couldn't see me so finally they caught my bid so i got i had a bid for 40 and this other guy i couldn't believe it i, I didn't know who he was he jumped up on his chair that's how i knew where he was and I was looking back and of course he bid forty five thousand. And, of course, I bid 50000 and was waiting for him to bid, and he wouldn't bid. Uh, and uh, so I got the property for $50,000. <coughs> and uh, this guy, uh, come to find out his name was Cody dochev. he came back there and introduced himself to me about, his, about the rudest, most arrogant person. I mean, this guy's just a fucking asshole. Come back and just introduced himself, kind of by just giving me a tongue-lashing for about 10 minutes about you know who I thought I was and what I was gonna do with the property. And I explained to him I was buying it for John Kleiner, and uh, he said he wanted the property. And I said, well, I'll tell you, I'll sell you the property. I said, we were gonna pay $66,000. And uh, you know I, was, I told him I was selling it to John Kleiner, who was gonna start an automotive store there, and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He said, bullshit. He says, I only got, Gus Harris was his buddy there sitting beside him, I guess. Gus was sponsoring the whole financing on this thing, and Gus wasn't going to pay more than 50 grand for it. And uh, I says, well, I'm sorry, but I says, you know, I can't just not come down here and spend my money and waste my time and not, you know, get make some money on it. So I offered it to him that day for what I was going to sell it to John for, because I could tell the guy was pissed off, and I wasn't there to piss off any people. I mean, this is the only guy of all the properties that sold before his, that was doing any screaming at anybody during the auction i mean 160 people for 160 properties were sold that day and this is the only fool that didn't come down there with enough money to buy his property i mean this shows you how day late and a dollar short this fool is you know he thinks he's going to go down there i mean he screwed the whole town of granby over the years uh, by going bankrupt and uh you know i guess this guy's pretty dramatic he uh he tried to, he faked a suicide jumping off a windmill or some hot tall building out there by his place, by Hot Sulphur springs anyway. You know, he's just, he's going off on me and uh, wasn't going to pay any more money. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I got to have 66,000. I'll let John go find something else. You know, I'm just trying to be a peacemaker here. and But I got to make some money. He wouldn't have anything to do it. So, you know, I calmed him down. I mean, I talked to this guy forever, it seemed like, uh, everybody around me. They couldn't believe this asshole. And anyway, so we closed the deal. He left. He went away. And uh, I uh, went and had uh, Jeff Crane sign the uh, broker statement that I was purchasing this property. And um, as a matter of fact, let me get going back here a little bit. When I had first looked at the property uh, and Jeff had tried to sell it to me, I had asked him if the former owner was interested in purchasing the property. At this fdic auction he said he didn't know well then i called the fdic to look at it because there was a number to call and they called an agent there in granby a real estate agent named uh peter colley so uh peter went out and bought a padlock and i went down there with a cutting torch and we cut the lock that was on the building off so i could look at it and then of course he put his new padlock on and uh he showed me the building and it looked like it'd be a good building so anyway i asked this peter colley also if the former owner had any, if he knew if the former owner had any interest in buying the building, and of course he told me he didn't know. So okay, well I feel that my job is done. You know I I am going to go to the auction. So we did, and I ended up buying it. We closed on the deal, and uh, you know I came back up to Grand Lake and uh, got a hold of John Kleiner, and told him that what had happened, and this is like I say it was about April of '92 and uh, told him, explained to him, that there was an EPA audit against the property because there were some oil stains on the property and there had been an oil fill barrel. And, you know, I don't know if it was that day or a couple of weeks later whenever he, You know, he just didn't want anything to do with the property all of a sudden. And, I, of course, I hadn't taken a deposit from him. So, you know, I was stuck with the property. Uh, but he didn't want anything to do with it because of the audit. You know, and, he of course, he was from Boulder. and They'd been pretty, you know, Boulder's pretty, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, Echo-Nazi type, you know, they, they, they think everything's, they're going to save the world. And, uh, you know, that's, that was his fear. One of the things was that there, I mean, then there were a lot of regulations about dumping oil and all that stuff. So he didn't want anything to do with it all of a sudden. Well, I don't know if he didn't have the money or just got cold feet or what. But I'm stuck with this property, so ah, heck, I don't know what to do with it. And so uh, that summer, I'm pretty sure it was that summer, I tried cleaning the property up, might have been even 92, I think, I may have just let it sit there. I know I let it sit there for a while because uh, I didn't have anything, any any equipment, I did to clean it up. But anyway, eventually I did buy a backhoe and I bought uh, the, a dump truck from my dad, a beat truck. and. Um, you know, started cleaning the property up hauling the steel away. Hauled it over to uh, Geis, Geisendorfer's property. He had a guy that was haul- cutting up steel over there and selling steel, and this kid wanted it, so we just high-hauled haul- everything over there. And uh, basically got the place cleaned up pretty nice. Rented a bulldozer, a little D3 from uh, Linky. What's his name? Dick Linky, south of Granby there. Pretty good, real good guy. and he, he delivered delivered it over there, and I leveled out the ground and the stuff, you know, tried to make it look pretty presentable, you know, and I didn't know what to do with it. And Shoot, out The guy in Boulder was doing great, so finally I decided that I'd start a muffler shop, and I think I started that either late 92 or in late 93. I don't remember anymore, but, you know, I just started putting on mufflers. I, I went down to Denver and found a used vendor and brought a used toy stuff that I had down there in Boulder and set it up and started putting on mufflers and advertising and everything and, uh, you know, figured I was going to do a good good thing. You know, this was maybe an opportunity for me. Uh, anyway, get, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh In 92, I was cleaning the property up. Yeah, that's the way it went. Because in this Summer of 92, after I bought it, a um, guy named Bud Wilson, who is the superintendent of the uh, Water and Sanitation District down there in Granby, came to me and said that they wanted me to hook onto the be annexed into the Water and Sanitation di- District. So I said, great. I says, what What do I have to do? I says, do I, is there, I have to get an attorney involved or what? He said, no, he said he'd do all the paperwork, and there was some kind of fee, I think, that I had to pay, but I don't remember anymore, but anyway, I was supposed to go to a meeting in September, I believe it was, and uh, get annexed into the water and sand, and uh, so we did. I went to the meeting, and uh, (laughs) I uh, just expected it to go through, and it was unbelievable what happened to that meeting. Um, the main topic of concern that they had with me being annexed into the district was that they didn't have a maintenance easement across the property that was just south of me. It was owned by Gus Harris. And uh, they had put in a watered sewer line years before, but it supposedly hadn't gotten this maintenance easement. And Gus Harris wanted wasn't going to give it to him or something. You know, I'm not really sure how that all worked, but this maintenance easement was a pretty big obstacle. And they basically told me the board did in the fall of '92 that I would never have water and sewer there until I got this maintenance easement from this Gus Harris guy. Well, I was a little upset because you know he was a super, Bud was a superintendent, and this was supposed to—I thought this was a done deal. So, you know, I left the meeting, and I didn't, didn't need to listen anymore. They're crap. They wasted a lot of my time. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that there was some animosity in the community. Uh, I had been getting uh, my hair cut down at this place called Lana's, and she had told me about how this Cody Dochev guy had tried to kill himself and had screwed a lot of people in the community and, uh, you know, had gone bankrupt. And uh, he was kind of—they—they were kind of glad that he wasn't there anymore. That he was out outside of town. He had moved up into uh, Dick Thompson's uh, gravel pit north of where that location was, about a mile, and was doing concrete, making concrete out of there again. But anyway, uh, uh, what the heck was my point? This Lana uh, had—oh, she told me how upset everybody in the community was that uh, at the FDIC. Because uh, what had happened was they had that big savings and loan uh, failure scandal uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. And everybody blamed the FDIC for this plant's failure and other people's problems that they'd had up there because what had happened is these people when the savings and loans failed, these people that owned property and stuff up there didn't have any place to make payments. So what they did, they didn't know what to do, so instead of you know putting the money aside every month, supposedly they uh, went out and spent the money. Well, then after a couple of years or whatever, whatever it took to straighten those deals, that savings and loan thing out, FDIC wanted their money all at once from these people that hadn't made these payments. To these collapsed savings and loans places and these people hadn't didn't have the money and uh so the fdic of course was foreclosing on these properties so everybody out there hated the fdic you know didn't like their practices and of course here i am i'm a beneficiary of the fdic's actions and so i and i found this out later you know people are pretty angry with me you know they didn't know how to play by the rules. I played within the parameters of what was supposed to be done. There were 160 properties sold that day, and I bought it just like everybody else bought their property. And uh, you know, there's no reason why why didn't this guy have why didn't this guy have enough money to, to buy this property? I mean, it was an auction. He would have should have known that there was going to be people bidding against him. But I honestly believe uh, he thought he was going to get it for next to nothing. And I believe that because I think uh, the word was out in the community that he wanted it. And uh, personally, I think the two realtors that showed it to me knew this, and uh, they they just didn't want the guy in the community, so they told me that they didn't know that he was bidding on it, or that he wanted it. Because had I known that, I would have talked to him. I would have called him and, and, and uh, found out what the deal was. But anyway... Um, we, uh, I'm a little disappointed. And uh, one thing they told me was to stay in touch with the superintendent in case anything changed. Well, it says, of course I'll do that, you know. But that was kind of, kind of a mistake on my part because it shouldn't have been my responsibility to keep track of the superintendent, which I did. Because I mean, I took this Bud Wilson out for breakfast on more than one occasion. Uh, he spent a lot of time out there at my shop. I sold him. Uh, a woos w-u apostrophe s four-wheel drive a uh, little dump garden tractor and i mean i got along with this guy was a pretty good guy at least that's the way he came across to me so uh we had a pretty good relationship and he never ever mentioned anything to me that anything was changing he says it would you know but uh it never did well anyway So uh, I just go on about my business, and uh, finally, I think it was in '94, nothing was happening. I mean, uh, Bud wasn't telling me anything was changing or anything, so I went ahead and I said, well, I'm going to build me a a boat storage building, and I'll design it so that I've got three 2,000-square-foot units. And it was 50 feet wide by 120 feet long. And that was, that we had three bay doors. And I was to put in three personnel doors. And I set the foundation up to have these three bay doors, three personnel doors, so that uh, I could put inner walls in, in or divider walls in later on when I finally got on the water and sewer. So, uh, I could have it for rental, and this would become my, you know, a good retirement income. I could rent the muffler shop building or sell the muffler shop business. I could subdivide the property because it was in the city already and fell under their uh, subdivision rules. I mean, it was pretty much just a pre-approved thing. You just had to apply to the town and pay them the fees and, uh, you know, follow the rules for what was HGB zoning. And HGB zoning, of course, was the best zoning you could possibly get. It included everything. That was in commercial plus other things that wasn't. And he, there was no other zoning that would include more businesses than HTV. Uh, so anyway, I, I thought this was a, a, a good plan. And I built this, had this building built. And uh, in the fall of 94, just started advertising for boat storage. And of course, filled it up the very first year. And uh, I was pretty happy with that. So basically, it was paying the cost of the building. Well, you know, we just go along. I'm making lemons out of lemonade, or lemonade out of lemons, you know. I can't get this darn water sewer going, you know. So uh, I, had the, uh, I had a well and a septic system, uh, which was doing its job, and uh, I figured that, you know, we'll just, that'll work, you know. Well, I, of course, and knowing that I couldn't uh, get on, uh, put the other building on a well and sewer because i was in town uh i are well and septic because i was in town i was going to have to hook onto the water and sewer but not being able to do that because i didn't have this maintenance easement and bud never told the thing to me yet i mean i'm building this building telling him what i'm going to do he knew what was going on but he never told me that anything had ever changed so i uh continue and do the do the boat storage and i'm doing muffler works and so forth by 98 i was doing i don't know i was making a real good income out of there along with what was coming out of boulder um well actually i'd gotten it back in 97 of course as i said and and then i gave it to this other doug uh, davis guy but uh, i was you know i had income out of boulder i had income out of Grammy here and life was pretty good and you know i was taking a lot of time off because you know you don't have to maintain rentals with boat storage you know there wasn't that much mouthful business up here. I mean, I was only working three days a week in the wintertime there, five days a week in the summer, which was typical of any store I ever worked in. As far as the summer was concerned, I, I never had any store ever open more than five days a week unless I'd open, just open one up that I might work a Saturday to you know make sure that all the revenue was coming in. Anyway, I, uh, I just was going along happy. And in 98, I believe it was, in the fall, this Dochef guy, oh, oh, going way back to 92, you know, without a doubt, I made a mistake. Oh, uh, Gus Harris, a couple of months after I bought this property, this guy named Gus Harris, who owned the property south of me, uh, was over over there doing some cutting on some steel. And I went over to, you know, meet him and see once if he was cooled down, you know, because I know that he was upset uh, that he, they didn't get this property. And he he was. I mean, Actually, I'd had a couple of conversations before that time, and he wanted—he was willing to sell me the property then for uh, seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. And, and I basically told him this was two months after I bought it that I, you know, I didn't buy that property for myself. That was there; I bought it for somebody else. And he—he he was not wanting to uh, uh, buy it. Old oh, oh, John did want to buy it, so I didn't want to spread myself too thin because the economy was so bad up here. I told him, I said, I'll think about it, and I'd get back to him. Well, the truth of the matter is, it was about a year later, I, I, less than a year later, I, I went to him, and I said, yeah, I says, I'd i like to buy that property. And uh, I said, is that $17,000 offer still good? And he says, no, he says, I'd have to have twenty thousand dollars for it. And I talked to his wife about this, too, about getting these contracts signed so I could buy it. And he never would get back to me as far as getting this deal done. So, you know, I'm still not wanting to push this deal because this is a small community and you know i need to fit in and, and uh i'm not you know pressured this is not one of those things i felt that you needed to do in a community where i'm new in anyway uh getting back to 98 now that earlier in 96 or 97 gus harris had sold this two acres to this guy cody Doche, <coughs> and of course cody had uh made a uh, comment that you know he wanted my property back in 97 it was and i had uh, gone out and had a guy make an appraisal wilson was his name uh, it was doudna who's a local appraiser here at grand lake still and it was doudna and wilson and wilson and doudna are commercial appraisers and this guy named wilson had made up an appraisal on my property in 1997 and came up with a value of $270,000. And I had offered this property to Cody for uh, $250,000. I said, Cody, I'll walk away from my business. I'll get everything out of here. You buy this place and uh, for $250,000, which was less than the appraisal. And I'll, I'll you're happy. I'm happy. And Cody never would. I gave him a copy of the appraisal. Never would come back to me with a counteroffer. So I... Uh, You know, I just kept on about my business. And in 98, this Dochef guy, he uh, he comes onto the property just south of me and puts up this big uh, circus tent. And he starts uh, breaking concrete down to uh, build these uh, sewer septic tanks and manholes, uh, you know, rings and different things that he's making. And, uh, of course, I don't remember he was driving right across my property because he had an easement which was fine at the time you know I didn't think it was going to get a, be any big problem but uh, you know he, he still hadn't made it off on my property well 99 I think it was rolled around and come to find out he uh, he's, he's going to try to buy the property next door to the west of me and has a contract on it to purchase it it's 20 21 acres Well, I I find this out too late. Uh, No, first what happened was, how the heck, I'm not sure how this happened. If he actually had a contract to get this, yeah, he had a contract on it. But somehow, he, uh, he ended up, he had to have bought it by this time. Anyway, I I tried to buy the property out from under him because I didn't want no friggin' concrete plant next to me, especially upwind of me. I mean I was right in the gonna be right in the uh dust uh tail of this whole operation and that wasn't gonna work. Well, that didn't happen. The guy the guy didn't want it and I started uh, getting notices that they were gonna rezone this property. And uh what happened Uh, oh he started building and uh, he ended up putting in what he called a water storage tank and a well and it's my understanding from a guy here in town named uh, Kevin Fisher that because Kevin was working for the guy who did the well and did the foundation on the building that uh, he got this Cody Docheff guy got fined for putting this well in and I don't know he just he, he was in trouble already and uh, it was it was kind of interesting. I didn't I didn't know what was going on yet, but I started getting these. I, I, I didn't start getting noticed. But I got noticed that they were going to be on this property next to me, and uh, <laughs> I went down to the city to see about whether or not whether to see this guy's building permit for what he was doing over there. And they had uh, a building permit issued to him. For $5,000 uh, cost to build a water of storage there, which was allowed in the TD zoning, supposedly. Well, uh, it, it, it had a cover letter on it that said that it had nothing to do with the TDO that this floaty guy was proposing to rezone this property, which to me was a big red flag. And you say it's not going, as it's not nothing to do with something that it, or anything you know that it has something to do with anything and uh anyway i just could not believe this was going up. so uh we were gonna have the second or third meeting i can't remember anymore uh, but i went down with this guy here in town his name was uh Mike. I was a graduate. I had a master's degree in, in city planning, and they helped overhear me one day, and he said that uh, what they were doing was illegal and that I should go get an attorney, and he recommended this guy named Deep uh, Deetha, out of uh, Boulder. So I called this Deetha guy up so for an appointment to go down See him about whether or not I had a case against these people to stop the Carnegie plan. So I went down there, and that uh, was this. Visa. Can't even remember his name right now. He is, this guy is a cowardly thief. man. He is a he is a man of the system, and he I mean he milked me like I've never been milked before. I'll tell you, he he is play. Uh But anyway getting back to this meeting, I was going over these different things that were in the zoning ordinance that they weren't meeting, you know, the different requirements. And he kept telling me I didn't have a case, didn't have a case, didn't have a case, you know, every time I asked him a question. Finally, I told him, I said, uh, something to the effect that, uh, well, you know, they were building this uh, concrete plant already, and and I didn't know what to do. He said, what do you need to build building? He said, they can't build anything until on this PDO property, until they've got final approval. He says, you saved the best to last. He says, if that's true, if they've already issued the voting permit, and I showed it to him, And I, I says, but they got this cover letter on that says it has nothing to do with the PDO. He says, this is all bullshit by the town. He says, they, they cannot do anything on that property. So I said okay. I said, this gives me a lawsuit, can we get them stopped? He says, Yeah. He says, and he gave me the example of how some liquor store, had uh, built this liquor store. Sometimes people had built this building and put a liquor store in it, and uh, it was never approved. And uh, they ended up losing, and that uh, that was what would happen here. Uh, the building was not taking down. They just put some other kind of business in it, but the liquor store had to go away because it wasn't zoned for that kind of a business. So he said, that's exactly what they're doing here. He said, we can stop this, no problem. So he told me to go up, and take a bunch of pictures of what was going on, about what they built, and I did this, and uh, this, uh, Mike Carmody was his name. The guy here in Grand Lecter had introduced or, or referenced uh, this pizza guy to me. Mike Carmody, I show, I, I take all these pictures of his property, and I show them to Mike, and Mike comes down there and looks at it, and he, uh, he goes up to the concrete plant with me and sees all the dust that they're making and everything and sees my plight and agrees no, this is wrong so i'm paying this mike Carmody guy money for consulting or whatever and uh i uh, i told him that uh, this pizza guy was coming up at the next meeting to look and he's going to be up here early and i said come dinner with us before the meeting and uh, we'll go look at this. So Deepa came up, and we drove around, and we looked at this property uh, out there that they were built on just west. Of it. And then I went. we went down to the restaurant, and Mike Carmody, I can't remember if he was with me or if he met me there afterwards. And I introduced him to Deepa. He must have met me there. So, uh, you know, we had this conversation about how Deepa could stop this because they were building there, and they didn't have final approval there. You know, they bannered. We talked back and forth about, going well, you know, on. finally the meeting was there. And Giza went into the meeting with me. And listened to what they had to say. And, uh, and, you know, I don't know what was all said. But anyway, after the meeting, Giza told me, he says, well, he says, they're not doing this right. He said, send me copies of all the meetings, minutes that have gone on, and we'll we'll look into this a little further. So I did that. I got copies of the previous meetings and uh, sent them down to uh, Gita uh, I cannot remember his first name, but I'll think of it later. Uh, so I sent these minutes down to Deepa, and, and, and a, 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 I had left in a zoning ordinance with Deepa the first time I was down there, and Deepa had been studying that ordinance to see wants what it said, and he gets the copy of these minutes, he calls me one day, about a week or so before this, uh, this the town supposed to have this final meeting for approval of the Sanctuary plan. He says, Marv, he says, says, there's something wrong here. He says, well, I've looked through these minutes. He says, are these the only meetings that they've had? And that was the truth. I said, that's all the meetings they've had. He says, well, if if this is all the meetings they've had, they have a serious procedural error here. At least that's what he called it later on. Uh, He says, they've left out at least two public hearings. And uh, basically, they're trying to short-circuit this whole process to get this approved. And I says, well, great. I says, that just adds to our case, right? And he says, no. He says, this is the case. He says, "He says we don't even have to worry about the, the up-zoning uh, as far as them building there. He says, we can stop it based on this. So I says, well, great. I says, how do we go about this? He says, well, he says, we go and we tell them. And uh, I says, well, I says if it'll get it stopped, if it's, it'll be a done deal. I said, let's get it done, let's stop it. So he wrote up this letter to the town, how uh, they were doing it wrong, and, and brought it up with him at the meeting, uh, the final meeting, and explained to him how they were doing this wrong. And of course, Gilchrist attorney is all defensive, and the town attorney is all defensive that they're doing it right. And Dietzer continues to explain to him how they've left out these public hearings. And then these uh, they had to take a break. Okay, and of course all along I had contended with the town that this was pre-approved. And they said it wasn't, of course. And I says, well, why did you issue the building permit? And they said that they could because that was allowable and HDD zoning. But what what, and this is interesting, later on, this, an article came out in our local paper, there were a lot of articles about this, um, of course, it was uh, September 7th of 2000, in the Sky High News, there was an article about how Granby tickets Mountain View Muffler over junk, and they've got a little caption on the picture of my building, it says, "Ticketed Mountain View Muffler was ticketed by the town of Granby for a junk violation. In the foreground is the foundation for a proposed concrete batch plant proposed for a site near Mountain View Monthly. Well, it didn't occur to me at the time when this article came out, but how can you have a foundation for a proposed concrete plant? Everybody knew that this concrete plant was going in, even though they hadn't had final approval yet. And this was a joke. I mean, the whole community knew that this was going to happen, and I knew it was going to happen, but I was basically... Listening to this pizza, that this was going to get stopped. Well, what he he told them this, and what, they had a big recess in this meeting, and went outside. and They're all screaming at each other, and they're, they're uh, they go back in after fifteen minutes and sit down. And lo and behold, it doesn't stop anything. The town makes this resolution two thousand that uh, this is a uh, this is a. Not a final meeting. Even though it's been advertised in the local paper, as in the public notices, the newspaper, Patrick Brower, the editor, has written an article that this is the final meeting and it should meet approval because it's such an important thing. It's needed by the community. Well, it was needed, but it should have stayed where it was up there in the concrete plant, uh, up in the gravel pit. Uh, Besides, this guy owned, this Dochef guy owned five acres right there by the gravel pit. He could have put it there. He didn't need uh, to rezone anything. He could have put it right there. Uh, but, he, you know, this guy had this heart on for me that for 10 years, uh, that he was going to get even with me. And he said this in so many words on more than one occasion. And uh, anyway, well, he was doing it. That's whatever, you know. I, I, I'm fighting for my life here because this is my future. This is my retirement. I need to get this... Uh, this uh, stopped anyway, they made this resolution 2000 that they're, uh, they're, uh, they are at a preliminary meeting and they're making uh, certain that everybody knows it now and uh, that they can do this well Dieza tells me, of course, they're still it's illegal they can't do it you know they had the final meeting advertised they're at the final meeting, and now they're changing it and saying it's a prime preliminary meeting. And uh, he convinces me that we've still got a good case. He says, they can go on and do whatever they want. We're going to get this stopped. So I, of course, believe him, and I just keep paying him. And up until that time, I paid him probably about $5,000. Anyway, we got this lawsuit going on, and this newspaper guy, Patrick Breyer, this guy is, this, this guy is the scum of the earth also, which is most, most some of these people up here are for different reasons. But this guy hated me because when I first came up here in uh, 91, the gambling issue was getting started up here. And I'm just sitting around my condo uh, reading this newspaper, and this guy is just blasting. I mean, he's just uh, belittling them and slandering them as far as I was concerned, just making the pro-gamblers look like fools. And I thought, well, what's wrong with these people? they got no economy up here. There, here's here's an, it, something that's happened down there in uh, Blackhawk and uh, over at Cripple Creek and it's done good economic things for those communities. Why is he so against this? I never could understand it. So I finally, after he blasted some people that I knew here in town, Cal- I wrote him a letter and, uh, you know, told him, hey, this is America, you know, leave these people alone, you know, this uh, this needs, this is, you don't have to be uh, making them look like some kind of fools, you know. was the whole gist of my letter. Anyway, you know, he just, didn't know who Marv E. Meyer was, but he definitely hated me because I, you know, said some things in the paper that were right on the button. I mean, I had an attorney for a neighbor at the time. Uh, his name was uh, Sommermeyer, Mayo, uh, Butch Called him. His first name was Mayo. He's out of Fort Collins, I believe. But they had the house down below me here. And he said, Marv, he says, what you're saying in the newspaper is exactly right. You know, he says, I'm all behind you. And it it was, it was encouraging, you know. Well, you know, this is small-town politics, and what do I know about small-town politics other than they're usually not good? And uh, I just figured, well, I'm kind of immune to a lot of this, and this was back in 92 yet, and uh, didn't realize how much it was going to affect uh, what I was doing. This newspaper guy, Patrick Brower, had told me after I started the muffler shops on a couple of different occasions, because I called him, and uh, I was advertising with him and so forth. He said that he was going to come down and we'd do an article on My Little Business. Well, he never did do it. You know, he was doing everything he could to keep me from getting any additional uh, publicity. It's one of those, it's, it's a kind of a community that in order for you to get ahead, you have to keep the neighbor down. You've got to keep, you've you got to be bad-mouthing everybody. It's not... You know, build yourself up on your own merits. It's tear the other guy down, however you can do it, legally, of course. I'm going to take a break here. I guess I'm not going to take a break. Uh, I'll lose my train of thought. Anyway, this Patrick Brower, I mean, he's a pothead. Uh, Of course, you can't tell anybody that. Uh, You know, big liberal, army brat, has had everything in his life given to him. You know... He's, and he, but he knows how to abuse the power of the pen. And that's a big thing up here is abuse of power. Uh, they, <laughs> they said that to me one time that I didn't have any respect for authority. And uh, that's, that's not the truth at all. The truth is I have the utmost respect for authority. But they don't. They didn't respect the FDIC or its procedures. They don't respect uh, good people coming in the community. They only respect what they want. And if they're in that power circle that's the way it's going to be they believe and you're not going to get in if you've done anything to offend them in any way well i guess that's their right in america but i've got my rights too maybe they're wrong when i exercise these rights but i really don't care i am going to exercise this right because we are given this freedom to do what we want to do until we do something wrong and then we have to pay for it well these people have figured out a pretty good way, being a small community, how to get away with doing things wrong and doing it legally. And, uh, and I'll get into that a little bit more later on. But uh, getting back to uh, the, uh, the newspaper article, I mean, how can you have a friggin' foundation for a proposed concrete plant? You know, this was a pre-approved deal. And, and I just didn't, I've never been through any town politics before, but because this was adver- affecting me so adversely, I was definitely learning, and uh, you know. but it was always a day late and a dollar short with me, and my attorney wasn't helping me at all. Uh, it was kind of sad, and the town paper was actually, uh, this Browery guy was pissed off as hell when he found out that we caught the town with their pants down. Um, you know, he wrote in the paper that I'd gotten some hot shot attorney out of Boulder to stop this whole thing. And... Yeah, he was no hot shot attorney. He was doing his job. Which, getting back to that personally, I believe with all my heart that both the town attorney and Daly, Rich Rick, Rich Daly was Doches attorney, and the town attorney, uh, I forget his name right now for Granby is the same one for Grand Lake. Uh, they were in cahoots on this deal, uh, where. They figured that no one would know the procedure because they had never done a PDO before, a commercial PDO, and they figured that what did they have to lose? They would just go ahead and try to get this through, and uh, it would probably go through, no problems. But, of course, this hotshot attorney, according to the paper, caught them with their pants down. Well, do you think that they would ever thank me for leading, putting them on the straight and narrow on the right path to get this done right? No. You know, and I agree. I I screwed up. That's what I'm agreeing to, screwing up. We should have never told them what we did. And as a matter of fact, the night of that final meeting when they made that uh, 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 resolution, or the night that he pointed out to them that they were doing this wrong, at 2.30 in the morning, I sent this Dietz attorney of mine at 2.30 in the morning an email because I came home after the meeting and read the the uh, ordinance again, and uh, I says, I think that we've spoken too soon, and uh, that we shouldn't have told him that we should have let him have the final meeting, and that we actually should have had a lawsuit filed 30 days later. Had we done it that way, we, we would have uh, been able to get an injunction against the building that was continuing. We probably could have gotten some of my attorney's fees or all of my attorney's fees, and actually, you know, made made these people out this this town attorney and this Rich daily and the dochefs chefs and the town council and the planning commission to show the town the real mafia type uh, uh, tactics that they were using, uh, and that's that's all they are are uh, they're criminals. You know, they banned the law, and they got caught, and they pissed them off. And, uh, you know, so now they really hate me. Well, I'm sorry, you know. It's my future. It's my life. I am an independent business person, and only I am responsible for my future and my income and my livelihood. And, and they're threatening that, and they're pissed off because I'm trying to defend my property and my livelihood against this. And that doesn't make any sense. You know, well, anyway, I'm just getting a little upset here, so let me try to settle down. Get back to the point here. We, uh, I'm not happy with the attorney, but what choice do I have? They've done this Resolution 2000. They go on with these meetings. He's telling me that they're still illegal. We're going to go to court. We're going to win. And, of course, it's all salesmanship. And I'm supposed to, and I'm talking to this Mike Carmody guy who's supposed to be consulting with me. He says, Dietz is right. He says, they're doing this wrong. So I've got two people telling me that Dietz is wrong. I I mean, I told Carmody I thought he screwed up, but Carmody says, no, no, but Dietz knows what he's doing. Well, (laughs) Dietz didn't know what he was doing, or else the the corruption up here is worse than I thought. And it is, it is. I have no concept of how corrupt these people can be. But anyway, you know, I'm looking, my business has gone to hell. Oh, and getting back to 99, when these first meetings were coming, when we were going through all this approval, it was in 99 that I went, I I think we'd already started the lawsuit, and uh, they're going to put in water and sewer to this 22 acres, or they're going to get it approved, and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm wanting my water and sewer hooked up. And I made this known in the minutes, uh at the planning commission meeting and the town council meeting. And uh, the guy who owned a motel over there, they uh, Boyce was his name from the uh, Boyce insurance agents. David Boyce, I believe his name is, had made a written request that they have water and sewer easements to their motels, to that section of land. They weren't in the town. It was county owned property was county zoned property. But they wanted uh, rights to get to the water and sewer, and I, you know, I told this to Carmody, and Carmody says, "Well, yeah," he says, "they, you, they have to give that to you too," uh, and that's why I asked for it. They could not discriminate against me as a neighbor uh, if I wanted water and sewer; they had to give that to me too. So I believe that's what was happening, although I never asked, sent him a formal letter requesting it. It was just mentioned at the meeting. All right, and and I had gone down to the Water and Sanitation District in 99 to review the minutes back from 92 to see once what we had all discussed and why I wasn't allowed on the uh, and it hadn't been annexed in at that time I go down to the Water and Sanitation District and get these minutes and I start reading them and I really can't believe these minutes because there is not one mention of a maintenance easement being required for them in order to allow me uh, into the Sanitation District. There's not one mention of it. And that was probably 15 minutes of the uh, discussion at the water meeting that night back in in the fall of 92 was that I didn't have this maintenance easement. And uh, I was just amazed that they had changed the minutes to reflect that we hadn't talked about that. Well, I come to find out later the reason they eliminated that from being in the minutes was because if it ever... So basically, had they not meddled in my business, this would have turned out, this whole thing would have turned out completely different. If they would have just left me alone, let me get my, get on the water and sand, um, you know, build the building, put the tenants in there, You know, I could have had that rented out. I could have rented out the muffler shop. I could have sold the muffler shop. I could have subdivided that. Could have done a lot of things. But, basically, what all this is going to prove when it's all over with, if it's ever all over with, which I doubt, it's going to prove, I hope it's going to prove to people, that meddling in your neighbor's business it's destructive, for the most part. It's going to come back to haunt you. Or it can't, I should say. It can come back to haunt you. And it can come back to haunt you in spades. And the only person you have to blame is yourself. And that's one thing I found up here. You know, they've blamed the FDIC for so many of their problems. So many people up here are blamers. They are not responsible. They are not accountable. And, and 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 that's the only way they can survive. And that's bad because that is just continually transferred, generation after generation. The way the city operates, you know, it's just nothing ever gets better unless something drastic happens. And basically that's what's going to happen. So anyway, the other thing I was going to say was that I found out this even after right right around I suppose in two thousand sometime. Um, this was after I'd found out what the that the uh, sanitation uh, scam had been when they hid that hid me hid from me my ability to get on or kept from, kept it from me. I also found out in about the year two thousand that in the fall of 1991 before I ever even came to Grand County, that this plan to put this concrete plant was already going into place. And I didn't know about this until 2000, but in 1991 in the fall, Gus Harris and Cody Dochev and the powers that be the Thompsons, the Thompsons' motivation was to get rid of Cody because he was such a just a pig, and and such a little man complex. Ah, this guy was, I mean, he's Mr. Napoleon all the way in the worst way. The guy just couldn't deal with the fact that he was little. And uh, it, it definitely depraved the man. I mean, the guy is, is really psychological, he needs some psychological help. But anyway, uh, they had gone to the town and rezoned Gus Harris's Two, two acres, which is directly south of my muffler shop. They did this under protest, which is in the minutes, um, from the bro- owner of the Broken Arrow Motel, which was straight south of where the project was, was where, where the rezoning was. And... I don't know if he didn't know it or, you know, if if they were counting on the public to be stupid or if they were counting on the fact that nobody had any money that they'd be able to protest this in court. But the town went and spot-zoned the two acres directly south of me, which was illegal in Colorado. They had changed the HGB zoning on that two acres to industrial. And because no one protested it within 30 days it became law that they could do that and therein lies a big problem when I came along and you know inadvertently bought this two acres their plans were that Cody was going to buy this two acres and he'd go to the town and convert it to industrial because now it adjoined industrial property that they had approved already. So now it was no longer spot zoning, but you know, approving it next to industrial zoning. And would be they, they, they had they, they were going to get away with it, and they were going to be able to put this concrete plant right there next to all those houses downwind of the town so that the town would end up getting all this dust again and. Uh, you know, they had had the concrete on the north side of the uh, County Road 612 and the neighbors, I mean, they just hated it up there, but now they were going to just do it all over again and the main reason was Cody's motivation uh, for doing it in 91 was because of water, I believe his main reason in doing it in 2000 or 99 or whatever it was was to get back at Mark it wasn't water anymore he didn't get the message And my message, again, I say, is, you know, God was telling those people. I didn't know these people. Out of the blue, here I am, buying this property. No malice towards anyone. Why didn't they get the message that they should not have put the concrete plant in town ever? Very subtle. This is just normal competition. You go to an auction, and somebody outbids you. He would have been mad at anybody. Cody would have been mad at Anybody. Who would have bought the property? Anybody. Uh, but, but you got to go there with enough money. Otherwise, you're the problem. It's your fault that this happened, not mine. You know, you can blame me all you want. You can blame the FDIC. That isn't the problem. You have got to learn to get over it and move on. But no, you sat there and plotted with the Thompsons. To keep me down, to not allow me onto the water and sewer district, to not sell me that property, to sell it to Cody, to to do this stuff, and, and, and to get even with me. You develop malice towards me. I never had any malice towards you. Like I said, I tried to sell Cody the property the day I bought it in the spring of '92. I tried to sell it to him in 97 for $250,000. In 99, I had another estimate uh, appraisal done. Tried to sell it to him then for the appraisal price of 395,000. Wilson Endowment or Wilson did this again, this reappraisal. He still would not come to me with a counteroffer. Counter How many times do you have to try to deal with a man? I mean, we had talked about this, not these were three formal uh, times, as far as I'm concerned, you know, there were many other times when he had, you know, we had a chance to, to discuss it. You know, come on, Cody, buy the property. We didn't discuss any price or anything, but, you know, come on, Cody, be reasonable. But that's what you cannot do with people in the mountains, especially in Gradby. Uh, they do not know what reason is. Reason, to them, is doing it their way. And that's the only thing. Once they get that in their mind, That's the only thing that's reasonable. Well, I've developed that philosophy to a point, maybe even to a higher point, because I am going to be unreasonable to the extent that although they've probably cost me a half a million dollars or more, or more, I know it's been more, I can can make it easily, 300,000, that's based on my figures. My bookkeeper, who was Mark Krieg, felt that it cost me a half a million dollars. My accountant, Dave Patner, in Granby, both of these people are in Granby, felt that it cost me a dollars to, for what those, the town had done to me, what the Thompsons had done to me, what the Duchess had done to me, and what the sanitation district had done to me. That is a lot of money. And that is more money than any man should bear to lose or to not make, or however you want to look at it. Uh, I want to say right now, If I would have been married, had a family, you know, things may have gone different. But God built me for this job. He rewarded me for 45, 50 years with the lifestyle that I am so thankful for. And and it's unfortunate, the poor people in Granby, so many of them were so jealous of my lifestyle that I could come and go as I pleased. Well, God blessed me in advance for the task that I am about to undertake. And you know, I, I've tossed this, I mean, I have fought this for years now. Here it is, 2004, uh, April f- of 2004. It was sometime in 2001, I believe. And I mean, I'm, I'm six. 2000 or 2001 that the peace i I mean i wept at times trying to understand why this was happening to me and to do what i had to do to make these people listen to learn was just above me and when i realized that one day when i was sitting in the hot tub and i mean i was i was weeping a peace came over me That has only come over me a few times before in my life where I knew that what I was doing was tough but it was the right thing and that it was above me. it wasn't me I was doing this because God wanted me to do it and I didn't understand it I said why did you ask me to do this is that why I've never been married so I didn't have a family Is that why I've always been successful, so that I would realize my reward before doing this task? I don't know. There are other things I can ask. Had I not carried my cross earlier and now God had prepared me to carry this cross, I believe so. And I'm carrying the cross willingly now. At first, I fought it. But it has to be done. And the world will write stories about how wrong I am and everything. And without a doubt, I wished it could be done a different way. But there is no way to make this right. I spent one day here in the spring of 2003. The Thompson brothers were down below my house here in Grand Lake, digging a foundation for a house. One day, I had some, happened to out the driveway, and Ron, I mean, uh, Larry Thompson was standing out by his truck by himself. So I drove up to him and had a few words with him. And basically, what I told him was that, you know, Larry, uh, I actually called him Ron first. He says, Ron's dead. And I says, oh, I'm sorry, Larry. And I says, but listen, maybe it's good that Ron's dead. Because, you know, no, no, it isn't, he said. And I says, well, I says, you know, about in 1992 your family made some decisions that financially affected my life for the rest of my life and i can't afford it and it cost me at least a minimum of three hundred thousand dollars and i says you need to pay me he says what are you talking about i basically told him i said don't play ignorant with me. and he shut right up he says you know what i'm talking about i says you made that your family made those decisions and I'm referring to the ones of that where they kept me off, where Ron Thompson kept me off the sanitation uh, district. Uh, I said, you know about that? And I says, you owe me. And I says, I want $300,000 from you. And he says, it'll never happen. And I says, well, I, says, I guarantee you, Larry, I'm going to collect. I says, it's a duty I have. I says, I basically can't call myself a man if I don't make this right. And I says, Ron died. I think of all the money that he got uh, that you you inherited because he died from your father's estate that you had all inherited I think that you ought to probably pay me with that and he says he says, not going to happen and I says, well I am going to collect and I drove away I got about four or five truck lengths away and he basically confirmed in my mind right there that he knew what I was talking about and he knew what had been done Because he had one thing to say. He screamed it at me as I'm about five truck lengths away. He screamed, you can suck my dick. And I stopped the truck and I laughed out loud and I told him, I said, that will never happen. Well, when someone is that frustrated that they've got to say something like that, you know they know. You could tell it in the tone of his voice. You could tell it by what he said. You could tell it by the way he acted he's a cowardly bastard he's a Catholic and I think they are some of the biggest cowards I have ever met I've known it for years they have a different idea they read from a different Bible and they believe I, I truly believe that they believe the only way that they can stay on top and give the Pope his money and all this stuff is to keep their neighbor down there is no building to the Catholics to their neighbor they, they don't believe in encouraging their neighbor And that's sad. That's so wrong. I never ran into anyone other than in my small town when I was a kid where everybody's always backstabbing you in a small community. But I lived in Denver. I had shop in Commerce City, one in Aurora, one in Englewood, one in Lakewood. I had one shop in Boulder. I never Felt that someone was, you know, intentionally working against me. You know, you got employees who are lazy when you're not watching them, they're they're just screwing off. But, you know, that's employees. I never had anybody sit there and plan to cut me out of uh, an opportunity to to make money like, like the Thompsons did when they denied me access to the sanitation district. Had they not done that, I can assure you. The outcome, the concrete plant, the whole thing, would have been completely different. I'm not saying I'd have been in mu- that much happier, but I would have never found out that they tried to fuck me. They would have, if they would have let me alone, I wouldn't have had this, this righteous anger that I have towards the Thompsons, their hierarchy, their attitude that they have left in that community for so many years that has spread and and like a cancer through that community and and so many people think like they do screw your neighbor if they had stayed out of my business the outcome when they when they started that concrete plant look at what would have been there i would have had a building built in 93 that would have had renters in it for seven years from 93 until 99 2000 Till today, maybe. You know, maybe the renters would have all moved out because of the dust. I would have had, if that would have been their feeling, they would have been on my side. We would have protested harder. Maybe the town council would have listened. But because the town council had gone to the effort in 91 to rezone that property, and I had screwed up the town's plans, the town had a hard-on for Harvey Meyer. They didn't stop and think marv didn't have any malice towards us this is a sign to not do this no they kept it in their hardened hearts and said we'll get him and they started getting me in 1992 when they kept me off the sanitation district they started getting me when gus harris would not sell the property to me they got me when they gus harris sold the property to cody Dochev. they got me when they issued the, the building permit to Cody Docheff for the concrete plant and denied that it was for the concrete plant, although everybody knows it was because it is the concrete plant today. Look at the November, the, the uh, September seventh, 2000 issue of the Sky High News, where that concrete foundation was. That's their building. Are we all stupid? Come on. They knew. And when I would ask them these questions, you which you won't find in the minutes, they would just shut right up, they'd stonewall you, they didn't have an answer. Neither did I. I mean I have an answer because I was giving them the answer. And they I I'd I, I I shoot the truth in their face and they couldn't deal with it. And and I'm sorry. They're going to have to deal with it. I guarantee you I am going to make them deal with it. It is my duty. God has asked me to do this. You know you can call it revenge. I don't know. I don't doubt that there is. I stop and think. We as human beings we can put up with doing without uh, unbelievably too much. And I've heard that in from motivational speakers, I've read it in books i uh, seen it in seminars where people would talk about that. It's amazing how much we are willing to do without. You know, I sold the property for $400,000. I mean, that, I had to pay taxes on it, which I did. Uh, but I, I stuck, you know, $360,000 in my pocket. You know? Uh, I didn't stick it in my pocket. I gave it away. You know, it's gone, because now money means nothing to me. I've given my house away. I do not need this cabin here in Grand Lake. I've given my snowmobiles, I've given those away this year. Everything is gone. What I own is just going to be a pittance compared to what I'm going to take. But hopefully the community will learn something from this and become wiser and instead of hating their neighbor and keeping your neighbor down they will love your neighbor you know there may not be a lot of love here because you can look at it and say it's coming from me I've developed malice towards these people I couldn't live myself the rest of my life if I didn't have a plan to make this right um, I feel pretty worthless and I know I probably shouldn't, but to know that for 10 years, the people in the town of Granby did not want me there. And the fact that I was making good money by the 99 within, you know, eight, seven years after I, six years after I started that business, that I was making a pretty good income, I'm sure it made them very jealous. I'm sure everything about me made them jealous. I'm sorry that they felt that way. That is a bad way to feel. You know, I wasn't trying to keep up with the Joneses, I know. I say that, maybe that's not true. I was always trying to be the Joneses. Do it my way. Look at me. See what I do. This is what I've done. You all have the opportunity to do what I've done. I haven't done much. I mean, I graduated from high school the 28th of my class of 29 it's no big deal I wasn't intelligent I wasn't smart wasn't stupid but I wasn't educated I didn't have the knack to sit in the classroom and and be a bookworm I don't know why I, I, I was I may have I don't know why but God built me maybe clear back in the fourth grade when I broke my arm because that's when my 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 uh, grade started falling off I don't know he had this plan clear back then. Maybe, if you believe in predestination, which I do, maybe it was planned before I was born. I don't know. I don't understand predestination that much, but I do believe in it. So here we are, and I am at peace with what I am about to do. I I, I have to be. And uh, although I've wrestled with it for years, and, you know, God gave me this last winter off again because he knew that I wasn't strong. And... Uh, that was that was so unique that this didn't get done last year uh, how the sale of the business kind of interrupted my progress on my uh, um, my Mars Kamatsu what do we what did I call it I got a name for it oh my MK tank that uh, that I didn't get the old MK tank done last fall is is amazing because it should have happened but you know god has his timing his plans made out and uh and they're, they're they're to be and it looks like it's going to be because the one thing that i have wanted to do is get caught uh, i had hoped that somebody would catch me and that this whole thing would stop and that would be a good sign for me not to do it i've hoped i haven't played the lottery a lot but i have hoped that i would win the lottery and I could forget this whole thing. I could move on because then I would have my $300,000. And I would have my life back. And I could, I could live the way I want to live. But, you know, I, I, I had that money. This, this cabin was bought and paid for free. I didn't have a rental payment. People will say that, why did he do that? He had such a good life. He had a better life than me anyway. Well, I, I can understand that to a point. It's not what I deserve you meddled in my business and took what I deserved away. You took advantage of my good nature. Well, I think there's something you should learn here. For as good as a man can be, also can he be as bad. And another thing you should learn is that when you visit evil upon someone, be assured it will revisit you. And that is what is happening. It is a good thing. Because I think the community of Granby will be stronger. I think that they will understand, after years, if they ever hear this tape, if they ever hear the truth, if they're ever willing to listen. That was one thing that the council would not do ever. They would, they were not, because they knew that they were going to have this concrete plant. Everything that I or the fifty or eighty people that were at those meetings initially they would fall on deaf ears because i was the only one the one person i should say that was going to be adversely affected so negatively by the impact of this concrete plant i stood there and fought till the end i spent the money i let that attorney deetsa milk me because I was fearful. I was weak. Understood. Understood. I spent the money. I fought the good fight to come to realize that I had to do what I have to do now. It's a sad, sad way to do it. But it's a cross that I'm going to carry. And I'm carrying it in God's name, I believe. I truly believe this. I would have been caught something would have happened i mean there's still some time left it still may not happen it could be that the day it does start the machine quits when i before i even get out of the building it may quit right after i get out of the building uh it may quit halfway through what i want to do you know and that's where it's supposed to stop because god will have stopped it i believe that that machine other than sometimes that it won't go in gear. I haven't figured that out yet, but I, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that's only happened a couple of times, and then all of a sudden by itself it went into gear. So I don't know what the problem is there, but that could be a very critical problem that stops me. Um, there's, there's just so many things I've hoped for that I didn't I wouldn't have to do this, but I'm, I'm here today, the 13th of April, 2004. And we're moving on, and I'm trying to make this tape and be done with it. Um, anyway, I need to I need to digress here a little bit. The town, you know, the people that were on the boards, uh, the Peterson lady, you know, she'd been on that board for so long. She knew the history, what the town wanted. She knew the history of the FDIC. They had the, so many people on that board the uh the fat lady uh that owned the flower shop or whatever she owned um i can't even remember her name um casey at gambles Uh, so many of those people knew had these sentiments towards the fdic which had been permeating the community since the fdic did what they did and, and here I am, a beneficiary of the FDIC, and they were definitely out to, to get their, their feelings, uh, um, I guess, uh, what's the word? Appeased, you know, <laughs> which, which is something else, you know. I appeased. I tried to miss wrongly. For years, I tried to appease Cody Dochev's misguided anger. I tried to talk to him. I tried to be friendly towards him, talk to his kid, uh, buy, I bought every bit of concrete which turned out to be shit. He, He ripped me off on that concrete so bad, but, you know, I tried to buy all my concrete from the guy and, you know. They get, you know, I, I had no malice towards this man or any person in Granby. And yet they had to do this to me. And for what was their guys? The sales tax. The increased amount of sales tax revenue. And I tried to explain to them, you don't have that much sales tax here for the detriment that you're causing to the community. All of the products are delivered, most of the products are delivered out in the county. I says the few you're going to sell infield traders right here in town. People are going to come up and pick up some manholes. Might even pick up a septic system once in a while. Who knows? They're going to pick up, what, maybe 5% of the business? Okay. What is that for what you're causing the the, the, the downgrading of the community, of the motels? Now we got a motel with concrete plant on one side. Before we had it with just the, the railroad tracks waking everybody up at night, going back and forth. Okay. You know, sometimes you're going to get a motel like this. Now you got one with a fucking concrete plant with absolutely no hours of operation restrictions, you know, other than what the federal government, you know, guidelines are, are imposed, you know, which is everybody. But those concrete plants are not in the center of town. They're out in the country for the most part. Only their malice, their resentment, towards the outsiders there was their motive for making sure that that concrete got in town and and it's just uncanny the, the, after it got started how I tried to stop it how every time I did I failed it told, told me one thing that God wanted these people to learn and he knew that I eventually would get to the point where I wouldn't put up with what they were taking away from me, for what they had denied me. God knew Marv Heemeyer very well. He put me up here. God knew Marv Heemeyer very well. He put me up here. he put me up here initially I I expect to uh, to to stop this whole process which it did it did for 10 years and that was God's will but it was not God's will that they do what they did to me that was man's will that was their will and uh, you know it's, it's effective um You don't agree with it. I could never agree with it. When man's will is to uh, harm his neighbor and uh, keep him from prospering, uh, it's wrong. And that's basically wh- that's all they did the, the many, many years that I was there. So, you know, we're coming up on that day when I'm going to do what I have to do. And uh, I... Uh, We'll we'll see once what happens. I I know that uh, you know it's God's will. It's going to be God's will be done. It's not mine. So we'll see once what happens. Um, that's that's just the way it is. You know all the uh, this is it's about uh, eight thirty in the evening on the thirteenth. Uh, All the, all or most of the documentation uh, between me and the town while this was going on, and between me and uh, this attorney, Dietza, uh, is is has been uh, put on paper, and it's in a plastic bag in the back of the Subaru. And there's a there's a chronological order there, but I don't have that with me here, so uh, this is I'm I'm kind of jumping around. But uh, it's, it's in there, and if you put it together, how it happened, it's, it's all there. And that will basically back up what I'm saying. Um, it's also in the, the computer I have here, uh, which I think I downloaded a lot of that stuff onto paper, and that's what's in the Subaru. But uh, the, 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 the uh, computer is going to go to South Dakota, and it'll be stored where it's supposed to be and uh i would hope that the people that have it for one day could figure it out if they, to, to know the truth uh, and, and i guess if they if they do figure it all out and uh, they still figure i'm wrong well that's the way they figure that's the way people figure Um, uh, i don't think that um I would be making this tape, I don't think I'd be still sitting here, you know, two, three years after all this stuff was done, four years, whatever, Uh, it'd still be bothering me. This affected, this. I mean, it, it took my whole retirement away, it just, I've got no life. The life I've got, sure, I've got a life, if you want to settle for that kind of a life. But that's not what I've been taught to do. Um, you settle for things if that's the way it goes. If I had gone bankrupt and lost a muffler shop with the property and went to an auction later on, the FDIC got it back or whatever, and I went to that auction and I didn't bring enough money with me to buy it, It's a good sign, you know that I shouldn't have it back and that I should go do something else. But if I was supposed to have it, if it was supposed to continue on, if I was supposed to get it back, I would have bought it. And I would that would be a good sign to go on. But Cody didn't bring enough money. And and he lost. And he just has refused to give it up. The town, because they're plans that they made for rezoning that two acres when they rezoned gus harris's two acres south of me when i stepped in you know when god put me there to buy that property and uh you know they their plans were um done with they were eliminated they were stopped you know they should have moved on they should have looked for a better place and i know cody wanted to He this is this is something important he he wanted the concrete plant to be out there um, by Hot Sulphur Springs, just uh, east of Hot Sulphur Springs, and you know I didn't really care. I didn't go to any of the meetings or anything, but uh, they turned it down, and it was way outside of town. It was downwind of the town, but this was very interesting, and this is why we should have had a change of venue in the court proceedings. We should have had this moved to Steamboat because the judge who sat at our trial. Uh, The judge had gone to those meetings in 97. I believe it was 97 when Cody tried to get that out there by Hotsolver Springs. The judge owned property across the highway to the north. And the judge and his wife went to the the meetings for the county to oppose this uh, concrete plant being there. Because it was going to devalue their property. And the letters are there at the county, um, at the at the River uh, Springs, the, uh, the courthouse there. And uh, I found this out a couple of weeks after I lost the case. Uh, I I'd heard somebody said that he had fought this, this judge had and so I went down to the court and I found these records and those copies of those are in the back of that Subaru I believe his letter from his wife and uh, uh, what she said and these were strictly you know from the judge's heart it wasn't from his wife it was from him because he was at those meetings and uh, it's right in the record when when you go to those meetings you have to sign in and he signed in and he should have recused himself from doing this but by doing what he did, by making the judgment in favor of the dough chefs and the town, he ensured that it would never come back to be at that location in the gravel pit across from his property. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, my attorney, as, as paid off as he was, however they got to him or how, whatever his thinking was, um, he even told me that uh, I should I should write the judge and ask him to set aside his verdict, and that we should have a new judge redo it. But, but you know what was the point? I spend another fifty thousand dollars with this attorney so that we go fight it someplace else. You know that's all that's all he was doing was making money on the deal. He didn't care if I win or lose. As a matter of fact, in one of the letters he sent me, which is a copy in the computer and in the back of the, computer, the Subaru, he said that he wouldn't appeal it. I always told him, I says, I said, Dietz, if this is good enough to take to court the first time and in, in, in the face of all the negative feelings that I have about winning it, I says, it's good enough if we lose to appeal it to a higher court. Dieter wouldn't do it. He would not appeal it, even after I told him that the judge had fought this concrete plant when it was going to be across from his property, which wasn't even downwind of the property. You know, it was it was right beside it, but it was it was for the most part upwind of the darn concrete plant, and it, it property wouldn't have effected, been affected near as badly as my property was or the the, the town property. Uh, of my neighbors. And, uh, anyway, Dietz said that he would not appeal it, and he said this in a letter, because he had future cases coming up in front of Judge Doucette, and he felt that if he appealed Judge Doucette's ruling, that it would affect adversely on him in these other cases. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know what that is called, but it, without a doubt, it's uh, it was wrong. You know, if he was willing to take my money for all those months and years that we fought this thing, um, to convincing me all along that we were going to win, that it was the right thing, I was doing the right thing, you know, he really should have done it without being paid. But... And I should have been smart enough to tell him that clear back there when we had the, when they made that resolution in 2000, that uh, he shouldn't get paid anymore, you know. But I I didn't know, I didn't know about how towns operate, especially, I didn't know they were that crooked. Uh, So, you know, I made a mistake. I made a lot of mistakes. And what did they teach me? I mean, why? So I learned how to 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 uh, go to FDIC auctions, maybe, and, and buy property. And if there was a the previous owner did against me at the future auctions when I bought this property, that uh, I would just sell it real quick. What what good does that do me when I'm sixty-five years old? If that's when the FDIC starts selling properties that have been foreclosed on again, if there's a glut of those on the market because the economy drops. Uh, I I don't need that kind of money at 65. I needed it when I was in my 40s and my 50s. Um, That's when it should have been here, and it's not here. So the money that I've got is of no use to me, because I am not gonna live the life they want me to live. You know, they think that I should have to stay down there in Granby, I should have kept my muffler shop going, I should've put up with all the dust, all the the snickers. Uh, you know, the, the the town council. I'd pass them in the post office, and they'd snicker at me after they knew I lost. Uh, on the street, Casey Farrell. I, I I mean, the guy. What a what a barbarian! You know, he's just a very sick man. Uh, he comes across as being one of those good good guys and he's he's nothing like that at all he's he's just he's part of the problem as as we're with that whole system down there you know the good old boy system when you when you when you come up against a person like me you know you you gotta help me throw me a bone you wouldn't throw me anything you know You couldn't, I mean, when Cody first came to those meetings, he said he would put up walls and he would do all this different stuff. We don't have any of it. It doesn't make any sense. Other than that it was the good old boys patting each other on the back. Well, you should have made me, if not one of the good old boys, you should have given me a bone to get out of there so that I could leave you alone and do what you wanted. You know, I put the property up for sale as almost as soon as this this PDO started, get me out of here. But you you couldn't read that. If and if you did, you read it, read it so that you said, "Ha, we got him. We know he wants to get out of there. We know he knows he's screwed. Let's really screw him." You know? That's exactly what their attitude was. And and they did, you know? I had no choice. I you know, what was I supposed to do? So when I had my auction, these people, I was willing, I netted, when I sold the property by myself to Travis Bussey and his partner Bob, I netted $400,000 on the sale because I didn't use a realtor. At the auction, I would have had to pay the auctioneer 10% of the sales price to net the 400000 I had it listed as a minimum reserve of 450000 and remember, I am forfeiting my business, the the uh, the uh, goodwill, all this, all that, uh, what I would call equity. I'm giving it up. And I says, look, if I advertise it at a minimum of four hundred and fifty thousand, we pay ten percent of that to the auctioneer. That leaves me with four hundred and five thousand. I, if they would have bought it at that auction for four hundred and fifty thousand, I would have walked away. But there wasn't one bid, and it also is unique, how I had five things that were reserved at the auction. The bulldozer, the land, a a, a Cabelco backhoe, my 72 Nova, and a pair of jet skis. It is unique how the jet skis made the minimum, the Cabelco made the minimum, the Nova went over the minimum, and they sold. But what two things did I keep? The Cabalco, I mean the Komatsu dozer, and the property. So, so stop and think about this. I wasn't supposed to walk away from this because the Komatsu was still there. The build property was still there. If I would have gotten a bid of four hundred and fifty thousand, I would have netted five thousand more than I actually netted. Is that what it cost for you people to not pay? To, because what I'm going to do is going to be worth way more than the five thousand dollars. If you get, I, I know I'm not very good at explaining this, but I hope you get my drift here. You know, you blew it. Maybe you say it didn't happen because it would have cost you fifty thousand extra than what I actually netted. Well, you were telling everybody. That, Cody was telling everybody that I talked to that the property was only worth 300000 Well, Cody, you were lying to people because I netted 400000 I would have netted four hundred and five had I sold it at the auction. You guys could have gotten rid of me. But that was one of those things that said, God, if it brings $450,000, i am out of here. I'm done. I'll forget it. I'll live. I'll, I'll get on with my life. It did bring it. It didn't bring it. It just amazes me that it didn't, because I was so close to, to walking away from this. Anyway, uh, so I got the dozer, and I got the building. Another thing that was very, very unique was, now how am I going to do, what am I going to do with this dozer, okay? I had it up on the driveway for sale, uh, and, and according to uh, the Ritchie Brothers auction uh, uh, sales at that time, That dozer was selling nationally for as much as $43,000, okay? I don't believe that any of the Komatsu D-355s were as in good a shape as this one was. This Komatsu was owned by, um, uh, uh, I believe it was Fresno Tractor, and they'd owned it for about six years and had rented it out. And this this Komatsu was in excellent condition. If any Komatsu D-355 should have brought... 54,000, which is what I had it at. That one should not I was willing at the auction to take 33,000 for it. Couldn't get a bid. I got a $20,000 bid. That was the only real bid we got. Well, I had 24,000 in it. I'm not going to sell it for that, especially when Richie Brothers says it's worth 43. So I kept the dozer. What was unique after everything's gone, I find out that the dozer is two inches shorter than 12 feet and will go into the storage building. It is one inch narrower than the door. If I take the little uh, bottom, the the edging grousers off or whatever they call them on the dozer blade, if I take those off, that dozer will go in my storage building. So I says, well, let's put it inside because then I can build it to do what I am supposed to do. And I could not believe it. I put up a four-by-eight piece of plywood on each side of the door so that the blade would go through, drove that thing up there, got out to where the cab was posted to the door, checked the clearance, and I had two, three inches of clearance. I drove it right in there. It fit through that door so tight you almost had to grease it to get it in there. Why did that particular dozer fit in the building why had i not bought one of the d9s at that fresno auction uh it doesn't make any sense you know a d9's got more horsepower it's probably more dependable than a komatsu (laughs) if i'd have bought one of them i'd have never got it in that building because they were much taller than the komatsu was so so i'm thinking well this is good i get it inside now i can build it must be what i'm supposed to do Put it inside under the guys that you know. It's wintertime. I'm not going to be here. Everything's sold. I don't have a muffler shop any morning anymore. I'm going to go snowmobiling. Um, I got to keep it out of the weather, and I got to keep it away from the friggin' criminals down there in Granby who are going to come by and sabotage it. Which did happen uh, to my place more than once in the in the ten years, eleven years that I was down there. They people would steal different things and so forth. I mean, it was it's a sick town <laughs> it's, other than have the store that I had in Commerce City the Muffer Shop which got broke into one time I never had any problems with theft in any of the businesses that I ever owned uh, or any of the shops that I ever run. but in Granby I had problems and there may be good reasons for that because it wasn't sitting on the main street and so forth you, you, whatever you know But there were more break-ins in my building in Granby than any business I have ever owned. There was four to be exact. Uh, Three were attempted, I should say, where they didn't get in, or if they did, they didn't take anything. Uh, The one time that they did take anything, they stole some wheels off of a street rod that I had sitting in front of the building. And uh, those people got caught. And I got restitution uh, from one of them. There were three kids. One of them paid his restitution the other two for all I know they're in jail today but uh, um, it's just it's just the way that town is it's just you know they're poor right now I think that everybody's probably got a lot of money in their pockets because we've had pretty good economy up here the last five or six years but those people all could have a million dollars each. They would still be poor. They're poor in mind. They're poor in pocketbook. They're poor in spirit. They're poor in heart. They're just poor people. And uh, I don't know. You know, it's uh, they need to they need to stop thinking that they need to. They have they have to get some self esteem, some self respect, and uh, love their neighbors and not not try to deprive them. Of a right to make a living, to have their dreams realized, and it's it's sad that uh, people down there do that. And I'm talking about the leaders of the community. They keep people down because if they did it, if they didn't, the real cream of the crop would rise to the top, and uh, and and you know knock them from their position. But of course, their definition of cream of the crop is to see how devious you can be to screw your neighbor. If you're devious enough and you're smart enough and uh, uh, wily enough to screw your neighbor, then you're the cream and you should be on top. You shouldn't earn it through doing honest hard work. You have to get together, have secret meetings. You have to spend years conniving, waiting for an opportunity to screw your neighbor. Well, I've never done it and I ain't planning on doing it other than what I'm doing now. And this will be the first time that I've ever done something like that the way they want it to be done, the way they do it, to do it in secret, to do things behind their back, to lie to you uh, when, when they, that you ask them what their plans on are and they won't tell you. I've had to do that. People ask me, what am I doing? Oh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I spent the whole summer of 2003 in that friggin' building, uh, lived there without a shower for as much as four and four days at a time working on that dozer, getting it prepared to do what I have to do. And it was that's another thing that was so uncanny. We talk about getting caught. Why didn't I get caught? Why haven't I been caught? Or why didn't I get caught up to now? <laughs> Last fall, when Travis and Bob go to buy the place, they need to have their insurance man come in and see the storage building. They want to see inside. Now I had put up a temporary wall that, and I had insulated that whole building that summer, and had started working on this dozer. I had this dozer about half done, by maybe three quarters done by the time they were wanted this insurance guy to come in. I had to clean that whole shop up, hide all the steel, the welders, hide all that stuff in a little room in the corner. I built out of uh, two by fours and canvas. And then what did i do i took polypropylene tarps and i covered the dozer which i i had the whole cab uh armor on um i had about half of the engine armor on and uh i covered it up with tarps and taped it all shut and uh i says you know maybe this is where i'm supposed to get caught this is they're going to come in here and, they're going to get nosy. They're going to want to know what's under this, this dozer. Uh, they're going to find out that what I, I'm building this, and, you know, somebody's going to go call the cops, and they're going to put a stop to it. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Catch me, okay? They came in there after I had the shop all cleaned up, had this, everything put away, had the dozer covered up with these polypropylene tarps. I even put a, a, a lift in there. To lift all this steel onto the dozer, this lift was uh, about 20 feet long. had a 20 foot arm on it with a electric winch, and it swung on a post. and That's how I lifted all this steel to get it on there. Okay, the lift is there. So these guys come in. Oh, wow! Well, what's this? Oh, this is the dozer. Oh, okay. Uh, well, what's this lift? They say, and I say, well. I made up this story about this guy from Minnesota who uh, was a professor at the university there and was working on a system to, uh, um, it was called, uh, I can't even think of it right now, when you deep freeze things, uh, cyrochirogenics or something like that. I said this, this professor was perfecting a chirogenics cooling system to go in the intake of the diesel engine, which would cool the air uh, and increase the uh, performance of the engine and increase the, um, the uh, hourly fuel consumption. And, and they bought it. They said, I says, but the lift goes when I leave. You know, when when this guy comes to pick his dozer up after he's done all this testing. You know, we had to we had to we put this lift in so we could lift this big 800 pound condenser up on the back. You know, which he uh, had mismeasured, and we they had to take it back to Minnesota. And then he's got this other uh, evaporator that we had to lift, plus the big the pump has got to go on there. We're running that off of a drive an auxiliary drive, PTO drive that they've got on the engine. I I had this all bullshit story, and they went along with it, you know. I said, I I couldn't believe it when they walked out the door. I'm safe. How come they didn't catch me? It was right there under their nose. Well, I wasn't supposed to get caught. Not yet. Maybe I will. (laughs) Maybe this whole thing will come to stop early that's the way it's supposed to be I will accept that they took away my life they took away my future they took away my hope they took away any desires that I had I cannot operate in a community of people that that does that to their neighbors I wasted. 13 years of my life down there because the Thompsons were pissed off that I bought that property. You put yourself in my shoes and tell me how you would feel at 50 years old realizing that you've wasted 10 years of your life because of someone's malice because of their jealousy, because of their greed, because of their hate. I'm 52 now, that's why I talk about 12, 13 years. You know, it was 10 years then. You know, it, it just isn't right. I cannot, there used to be a time when I could withstand these types of losses. I could never afford them. You can never afford to lose money you can withstand it and you can recover sometimes Most of the time I looked at it that way it was because I was young and I I was strong and and I could go out and physically do the work I'm 52 now I can't do it I can't withstand it I can't recover We're talking about losing three hundred thousand dollars which, along with the sale of the property, would have been my retirement, would have let me go on to do other things, to make more wealth. But when you take 10 years of my life away and just piss it down the drain and are are happy about it and ecstatic about it, no. I've taken all I can take how i react yes it's a reaction that's how it's supposed to be that's how god built me you know it is not my fault what that one guy say those who made me your enemies or enemy those who made me your enemy they are the guilty ones the thompsons are guilty the dochefs are guilty The Granby Town Board is guilty. The Granby Planning Commission is guilty. My neighbors are guilty. It took all of you 10 years to get me. And you got me, no doubt about it. I got screwed big time. We talked today about it to Dave Patner. He knows I got fucked. And he knows that they do it. And they get away with it there's nothing you can do about it he says well i'm going to do something about it it may only change people for a generation maybe two may not change them at all maybe make them worse that's the way it's supposed to be and that's the way it will be god's will be done through me
0: We're going to fly. So anyway,
1: this is tape. This is tape three. It's about nine o- 10.05 on uh, the 13th of April, 2004. Uh, I want to say that I believe that I am a, an American patriot. I believe in the free enterprise system. I believe in a level playing field of competition. Um if you want to change that level playing field of competition to your advantage basically you give me license to do that also when my opportunity comes around because you're the ones you are the leaders of the community and and you you set the example and you do the teaching and you buy through example through Through your actions you show the community how things are supposed to be done. I am one of the greatest followers you would ever meet because I know you cannot be a good leader unless you are a good follower. I have followed all the parameters that I was supposed to have followed to get that property. You, on the other hand, the town of Granby, the people of Granby, the leaders of Granby, have not. You have conspired against me. And that, in doing so, and I understand it's a conspiracy, we can't prove anything. And the way you change your minutes at all your meetings, I understand that. It can't be proven. I'm not that diligent to, to catch every problem and attack everything that you do there's too many of you it's too big of a task but um, you have given me license through your example to do what I need to do that at that when I do this that levels the playing field in my favor so now we've got a lopsided playing field because when I come back at you I'm going to destroy your side of the playing field. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy. I'm going to get. You know, I, I always believed in paying my bills. <laughs> Just, you got. You know, you got to make money. And uh, you do that. You know, if you got a champagne income with a beer taste, you're going to do well. And that's what I've always had. Um. Always believe that's the way it should be. That's the only way I could get ahead. If you got a champagne taste with a champagne income, you're even. If you got a beer taste with a beer income, you're just even. If you got a champagne taste with beer income, you're screwed. So you got to have a beer taste with a champagne income, then you'll get ahead. And that's what I've always had. You've taken that away from me. You've taken that income away completely. And how you did it allows me to do what I need to do to make this right. And I'm taking it a step further in that, in leveling this playing field, I've always said never get even, don't get even. You either have to walk away or you have to get ahead. I am going to get ahead or maybe I'm just gonna put you down but it's going to cost you millions compared to the fifty thousand you could have gotten out at my auction you could have walked away compared to the six hundred thousand that I initially asked who a professional realtor agreed with me on the value of that property in business was worth five hundred ninety five thousand she listed the property had it listed for two years we reduced it and reduced it and reduced it and nobody because of your anger because of your malice because of your hate you would not work with me so now I believe that I have to leave this world with a debt so great to you it can never be repaid until the the final judgment we'll see once what that cost is will it be too great You know, maybe. But there's got to be some good come of this. And at this point, there is no good. I am here short of what I deserved. All I ever wanted was what I deserved. You denied me of that. You are there thinking you have gotten away with destroying a person, an outsider, and you have gotten your way. And that's wrong. That was man's will. It was not God's will. It was with your input. So now this, true, it is with my input also that I come back at you. But you gave me license to come back at you. You taught me how to act towards your neighbor. And that's how I'm going to do And you will learn this lesson that that is not the way to do it. I am going to sacrifice my life my future to show you my my miserable future that you gave me to show you that what you did was wrong I know the newspaper guy he'd never admit it that guy is told so many lies it's one thing about lying you tell a lie usually you gotta tell five more to cover that up and then you gotta tell five lies for each one of those five to cover those five up and it just escalates and pretty soon all you're doing is lying. And you always you know, you get caught in a lie, and how you do you, you tell ten more lies and you, you bullshit your way out of it. I never used to do that. I never could do that. I didn't want to do that. If I was honest with people, straightforward, they knew where I stood, the deal was over with, it was done. The thing about the bad thing about being honest the straightforward and doing that is People know where you stand and they take, try to take advantage of you. They take advantage of your good nature. They take advantage of the fact that they know that you're a good guy, you are a straight shooter, and that you're not going to retaliate on them when they fuck you. Well, folks, most of the time I believe that's probably true. But God built me to be here to prove to you that what you have been doing for God knows how many years is wrong. You picked on the wrong man. I'm not tough. I'm not that strong. What I'm going to do is above me. And God gave me that peace years ago, two three years ago, in that hot tub. That i had to do this that i could not do it without god's help that it was his strength that would spur me on at at 51 and 52 years old to get this job done he would get the job done at the pace that i could do it and i believe that is why he gave me last winter off i was not fast enough i did not have the energy that I, in my 40s and 50s, late early 50s, that I had when I was in my 30s. So he gave me the winter off. He says, Marv, you're not gonna get it done. Go take off this winter, go play. But next spring, after the hill climb, you've got to do this. You've got to get this done. And that was my, that was where I was. That was my goal, so to speak, was take the winter off, relax. You know, maybe something would come up to change my mind that I wouldn't do that, that I would completely dismantle the MK tank. Didn't happen, folks. Didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? It, it, you had a whole winter to have something happen good to Marv Emeyer. It didn't happen. So here I am back there doing what I have to do. I'm building the MK tank. And like I said earlier, maybe I'm repeating myself here, but God may be giving me a a wide-open path in building this to come up dead up against a brick wall. If I'm dead 30 seconds after I get out of that building, if I'm dead through an accident or a piece of steel that I lift up on the dozer yet drops down something malfunctions injures me puts me in the hospital kills me whatever that's I'll accept that but you're going to know what my intentions were because basically my deadline I, I've had deadlines and I, I I've had to postpone them you know first it was supposed to be the spring of 2003 that this would happen then that, that got put off a month, and then things, I just didn't get things done. And it got put off until the fall, and now it's been put off till the spring. Well, you're going to know how intent I was on teaching you people that what you're doing is wrong. There's going to be other things that you're going to realize that you're going to understand, Hopefully. And maybe that's all that needs to be done to stop you from the greed you have, the hate you have, the anger and malice towards to outsiders. It's not good, folks. I don't think that just knowing what I'm doing is enough. I think God will bless me to get the machine done, to drive it, to do the stuff that I have to do, up to a point and then the machine will do one of two or three times you're either going to blow me right off the fucking streets I'm going to have a heart attack and die because I'm all pumped up the machine's going to break or maybe maybe it'll go all day and I'll run out of fuel I don't know I got a lot of fuel in that thing let me tell you so I'm trying to be as prepared as I can be To do what I believe needs to be done. What God has inspired me to do. And we'll see once where it goes. You know? Because it definitely is in God's hands. It is not in my hands. Without a doubt, I'm building it. But there's a reason why I am successful at continuing this project. Maybe it's just for me. Maybe I will get caught. And maybe I'll see how foolish it was. But if I don't, I know I'm going to be dead. (laughs) There's no doubt about that in my mind. I am the co-captain of my life. God is first. I am second. Okay? This is where he's taken me. This is where you have tried to control my life. You have tried to be the captain of my life. You do not run my life you did not determine my income you did not determine what i desire what i want what i deserve i determine that and my god determines that not you people no people do that if they do then you're a slave to them and i am not a slave to man i am a slave to god and i am a slave to what God tells me I should have, and that's why we are where we are. Let's stop here. You know this may be unimportant, but um, I had a friend here in Grand Lake. I have a friend lives in Denver, owns property up here. His name's Curtis Wright. I've known him for about three years. Pretty good guy. He's from Iowa. This guy walked away from a bad deal there in Minnesota, I guess. He had a partner who screwed him out of a lot of money. And he tells me that, you know, he dwelled on this for quite a while. And he rationalized this, that he deserved to get screwed and that he needed to quit thinking about his enemies and what they had done to him. He needed to be thinking about his friends. And that's why he lives today. He lives for his friends. Well, that's, that's, that's comforting to him. And that's good. And that's what it takes. I, I, I firmly believe that one day he will regret not taking some kind of action to recoup what he lost in Minnesota. Now he may put it out of his mind for the rest of his life, but I know that affected that man in an adverse way. It hurt him. It killed his spirit to a large degree. Uh, this man, he's a he's a hell of a wrestler. Wrestled for the. Uh, uh, I don't know he wrestled for some Iowa team he hates it when I get it wrong anyway uh, he was a good wrestler and he had a lot of will and a lot of strength and he was a winner and uh, when he lost there in Minnesota to that guy when basically his I guess he he walked away from the company and the guy was rid of him and uh, the guy went on to sell the business a short time thereafter for quite a huge amount of money and, and Curtis lost all that well I guess Curtis needs to be beat up even worse to get to that point where he says enough is enough I have been beaten to a point where I'm not going to take it anymore and believe me I have been beaten in my life I have lost a greater fortune than I have without a doubt but I don't think that's what God had planned for me I think God expected me to get that and he expects me to do something to those who kept me now from getting that to, from getting what I deserved all, I, I will get what I deserve in trying to make this justice to get this, uh, make this all right I will get what I deserve but I'm not afraid of death. That was another thing. There's a movie I watched said, you know, there's a lot of things that will gnaw at a man's uh, heart and soul. A lot worse than death. And, you know, this will gnaw at me for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to live with it. I may die with it, but I will not live with it. I lost $57,000 in the mid-80s over at Toponus on a a land scam that this uh, realtor um, devised a a scheme where he would uh, have wraparound mortgages and uh, a corporation would sell these lots and after so many years they would go bankrupt and we as purchasers would have paid the county commissioner of route County, his name was Visitainer, so many thousands of dollars. He'd have made thousands of dollars of, in real estate commissions, and uh, everybody would come out of it winning except the owners of the land. And when we finally lost everything, there was 12 of us, I believe, in the, in the group that still owned land there, of the over 100 lots that had been sold over that eight-year period or 10-year period, uh, most of the people had uh, given up on their dreams to have that 40-acre parcel there, and they let the property be foreclosed on earlier. We we were naive enough to believe that they finally the economy turn around, everything would get going. We didn't realize it was a legal scam. And uh, there was there was 12 of us. We went and met with Franscona and. Uh, uh, the attorneys in Boulder. We spent a day with this guy, paid him $1,500 to have this meeting, and he told us that there was nothing that he could do because uh, the way it was set up. It was legal what they did, and it was called a forfeiture of equity, and the court frowned on that. But if we went to court, it cost us $30,000, and we'd still lose. Well, I walked away from that deal. There were two of the people I believe were close enough to having their lots paid off, that they paid them off and they got their forty lot, forty acres, but the rest of us weren't well healed enough to do that. So I walked away from that. It was fifty-seven thousand dollar loss, and uh, we—I wrote it off on my taxes, and I probably got—I don't know—fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars back, where I, did, I didn't have to pay taxes anyway. Uh, but it was wrong. I've had—I had a partner, uh, the first partner I had in the muffler business. Um, he cost me well over $10,000. The first franchise I bought went bankrupt within four months after me giving in their franchise fee. That was a $10,000 loss. Um, the real estate that I bought, the, the apartment complex, I, bought, I owned that damn thing for two and a half years. Three years, I can't remember. Believed the, this realtor who went to this Christian Reformed church that I was attending, You know, I trusted this man. Wrong, Marv, wrong. Never trust man at all. Trust God and trust yourself. But don't trust another man. Or don't, just just don't. I had to learn this the hard way. You know, I broke even on that apartment. Actually, I think I probably lost money, but I believe, I want to tell myself I broke even. That way I don't feel bad about it. But if if I would have the the money that I have lost, you know, I'd be a multi-multi-millionaire. I don't understand it. I guess I'm a, I'm a, I, am am aii am a dumb, I'm a dumb person. I know that I'm a dumb person. I'm not as witty as some. I'm not as sharp as some. I don't know that that's the backbone of America, though. You know, I don't know what the backbone of America is anymore. Anyway, I have been screwed a lot of times, and I walked away from it. And I said, I don't need it. Just like this guy in Boulder. The man quit paying me last November, walked away from a $130,000 note. The IRS confiscated his house. They wanted to take the business, but fortunately I had the secretary of uh, UCC filing with the secretary of state. They they didn't get the equipment. So what do I have to do? I sell everything for a $25,000 bid. That was the bid I got. A good family is gonna get the business, They're, it's going to enhance their future. I'm happy to do it. I sell it to them for the twenty-five thousand. If I take that off the hundred and thirty thousand dollars that the guy still owed me, because Doug Davis still owed me, he owes me a hundred and five grand. I'm walking away from it. I'm not gonna chase him down, I'm not gonna go find his dad. And, and shoot him I'm not going to shoot Doug Davis I'm not going to shoot his kids I'd like to I guess if the opportunity put itself in front of me in the next uh, 60 days 50 days, whatever it is I might do it I do have the wherewithal to do that but I don't think that's going to happen if I had the money that I've lost yeah, I'd be a very wealthy man But that's the problem. Is it because I have a good nature? Or is it because I'm a coward that I don't chase these people? What is it? I'm not really sure. I've been over backwards to help this guy down there in Boulder make it. He had it for seven years. How can you fail after seven years? I'll tell you how you can fail. Drugs, alcohol, prostitutes. An oversized ego. I don't know. There's many different ways. That's why this guy failed. He stole some of my equipment. He owes people money down there. He left the place a filthy mess. That evil will be returned to him. If it already hasn't, the guy has had a pretty miserable life. Like but getting back to me, I on the other hand, I have had a perfect life up until nineteen ninety nine when I found out what the Thompsons had done to me in ninety two. And I am not gonna take it. And I have to use the resources that I have, the wherewithal that I have, the ability that I have, the knowledge that I have, to make this right. I am not walking away from it. Maybe I'm being a coward by doing what I'm doing. Because without a doubt, I'm doing what you have done. I'm I'm lying. I'm conspiring. I'm keeping things secret. And it's going to happen. And I believe that is a coward. You were cowards in the way that you dealt with me the, the, the ten years that I was in Granby. You people were cowards. That you could come to me and say, Marv, we want you out of this town. We hate you, we hate the FDIC, we hate how you benefited from the FDIC's actions and our misfortune and our stupidity, but none of you had the guts to do that. You You had to take me on en masse. Well, I'm going to take you on by myself it's the only way I know how to do it I'll be dead when it's over but that's my conviction and for the people that are out there that hear this that can stand listening to it please pray for me pray for my soul I believe that that I'm doing the right thing I don't think God would have let me get this far if it was the wrong thing I don't think God would have given me the successful life that I had I call it successful I think I was a very poor person most of my life but I, I, for, for who I was and that where I what I was I think I was a very rich man and I'm thankful to God for giving me that life and giving me what I had I mean without a doubt I made sacrifices I didn't have a wife I didn't have family but God built me that way for a reason and, and we're here today and I'm going to carry that cross I'm going to fulfill the reason he built me alright I'm going to stop again okay I'm back it's 1027 on the 13th of uh, April in the evening Um, I hope that the people of Granby learn that the, the way you punished me over the years that I was down there and how you punished me for the most part turned me into a desperate man. And desperate men do desperate things to recover a lot of times. And just for an example, I'm going to use nature as an example here. In nature, wolves and coyotes and you know, all the aggressive animals, they have their territory. They have their mates and in nature even an animal will fight to protect so i should say some some of them some of them are you know uh, what do they call them Uh, deadbeat dads but you know uh, a mother uh, just look at the mother she will fight to protect her young And she will protect her territory. And a male, a male will definitely protect his territory. If he doesn't, he'll be overrun. Now, if an animal will do this, why wouldn't a man? Now, did my buying that property make you desperate? It shouldn't have. My buying that property should have had no influence on you whatsoever. You should have realized it for what it was and moved on. But it did make you malicious and hateful. And you came after me. And I tried, I tried to protect my property, to protect the peace and quiet of that zoning, of the neighbor's zoning, of what they were doing, the guy over at the Broken Arrow, I mean, I know that guy was bribed. Uh, it, it, it's just too obvious. The new building he got from Cody while the process was going on, uh, don't don't tell me there wasn't a deal there. Sure, Cody would have given that same building to someone else for the same price he paid for it. But a small price to pay for Cody to get his way. It was all bullshit. You know? Why did they get the easements and I didn't? It was because of malice and hate. Why was I so unsuccessful in protecting my property? Because you people needed to be taught a lesson. You all in the along were thinking that I was the person that needed to be taught a lesson. You were going to show me how it worked in granby colorado how the real world worked people you are so mistaken about the real world i have lived i have walked away from what you've done to me not on the not on the same scale that you've done to me on a lesser scale i've walked away from it many times before laughed at you because knowing laughed at the people that were doing it to me because you know it's going to come back to haunt them one way or another this time I'm not walking away from it the real world is going to come back and slap you in the face like you have never been slapped before and maybe that will make you think the next time a generation from now when you start screwing an outsider, when you start screwing All right, we to flip tape over. When you start screwing somebody who's trying to do something good in that neighborhood, in that community, but it's against your wishes and your will, maybe what happens here this year of two thousand and four, this summer of two thousand four, maybe you'll remember that. Well, there was back in the early 1900s or late 1800s, there were four people died up here in Grand Lake over the uh, where the where the uh, county Court has, oh, should be, whether it should be here in Grand Lake or Hot Sulphur Springs. I don't know how many years people remembered that incident, but they still talk about it today. What the purpose of all that those people dying were? I really don't know but it seems like this has to happen again and again and again in human nature that that we kill each other so that the next generation looks at things differently who where the, where they will open their mind and be open to other people's ideas. It's it's a it's a cycle. As best I can see it, God is saying that the cycle it's time to happen again. Hopefully it lasts longer. Maybe it won't last as long. I don't know. You people didn't have to teach me anything. All the crap that you did to me has been done to me before on a much smaller scale. I know I shouldn't have given you the benefit of the doubt. I should have learned that people are ultimately corrupt. I didn't, I guess. I'm going to have to die with it. Because I'm telling you, I will not live with it. It's about 1052 on the 13th of April in the evening. It's just another example of how forgetful I am and how sharp I'm not. I've been sitting here talking on this tape today, wishing that I had the documents in front of me (laughs) all the time. It's it's been here in the computer. So I'm going to bring some of those up and uh, go over some of the things. I've got a a tape and a quarter left here, and uh, then I'm going to be done with this. Well, it's obvious I never, I never got those uh, documents out of the computer, and I have no idea what I was saying. I don't have, I don't have time to spend this, listen to this crap anymore. I guess just uh, my final point is, is that they, uh, if the sanitation board in 1992 would have stayed out of my business, uh, the Thompsons, whoever it was. Uh, Dick Thompson Ron Thompson Larry Thompson um, Randy uh, Schmuck um, Bud Wilson and I'm not sure who I was all involved but they stuck their dirty stinking fingers in my business and they did it with malice and uh, and they they shouldn't have and malice begets begets malice. Had they had they stayed out of my business in '92, uh, you know, I would have gotten my uh, rental units put up probably in '93 instead of '94, which was only a boathouse at the time, but could have easily been converted to rentals. You know, it's they just they just. Uh, they just ruined a, a good man's life, a lot of people's lives, but that's their style. That's what works for them. That's the only way they can stay on top. They can't play on a level, level playing field. You know, they gotta, they got to try to keep people down. And that's okay. You know, hopefully they'll, they'll learn from their mistakes. Some, half of them are dead. Dick Thompson, Ron Thompson, the Dochef girl they D&J's uh, son north of me and I don't know how many else were involved they're probably dead too they deserve it they, 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 they went too peaceful as far as I'm concerned so anyway this tape's probably got a lot of emotion in it and uh, anybody listening to it you know you need to uh, realize that and just uh, take it from there you know anyway Hey, I hope y'all have a great time, a good life. I've had a great life, and uh, it's Saturday morning, uh, the 22nd of May, 2004, and I'm going to put this tape and tape recorder in a plastic bag somebody else and try to figure it out. We'll see you later.
0: So that's Marvin's story. I'll be back in a couple of days with the next episode. So this has been Cambo signing off from True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.